The SaaS Universe podcast is brought to you by Efficient Capital Labs. Realize your future revenue today. Simone Biles, arguably the best gymnast in the world. As I read her statistics on how many gold medals she has as opposed to the next person after her, it was quite mind-boggling to say the least. And in my somewhat weirdly wired brain, I asked myself, what does this world champion gymnast and revenue-based financing have in common? Truth be told, there is a commonality that I found. Before I answer the question that we started off with, I have to introduce our guest today. His name is Balaji, or fondly known as Bala, and he's the co-founder of Housemonk. But his career was not always entrepreneurial, so to speak. I was with TV's motor company and I was working with them with respect to quality control and budgeting. Post a couple of years in TV's I started working all around with respect to data, functions and implementation of technology within manufacturing. So, how does someone who works in TVS Motor Company end up in real estate tech? I know it's not unheard of, but there was definitely a disconnect that I felt. And I knew that I needed to get to the origin of House Monk for me to understand what transpired and how you get two gentlemen, who are not really from the same industry, to get into it. Ajay and Bala met because of friends in university, but let me allow him to tell you that story. My friends from university had gone to school with Ajay. We got introduced to each other in Bangalore again. And after our graduation, both of us had moved to this city. Initially, what we noticed in Bangalore was that the average age demographic of people was between 22 and 29. And uh, the average age that we were targeting was about 25. So when you move to a city like Bangalore just after you finish your undergraduation, you try finding a place for yourself and you try finding a place online. Now, there are a lot of hassles in trying to find a place within Bangalore and move into the place in Bangalore. I'm sure there are a lot of memes you've seen online around the same. But once you try to move into a place like Bangalore, especially key areas like Indranagar and Koramangla or HSR uh, or any other place where there is uh, a startup hub or an ecosystem that's been set up, you end up contacting a broker. Now, this broker helps you find a place does the negotiation with the owner and does the documentation and rent negotiations and deposit negotiations for the same. Post that, you still have to find someone to maintain your property. You still have to find someone to do the plumbing, electrical, carpentry work. You still have to find someone to do the cleaning jobs within your space and then hire someone as domestic help. Now, apart from this, you still will have a vehicle which you need maintained. You need someone to clean your bike. You need someone to maintain your vehicle and so on and so forth. Now, given that there are multiple parts of this ecosystem, this happens in a very fragmented manner. What happens in this case is that people end up spending a lot of money to bring all of these services together. And the idea was to bring all of this all to one platform, integrate all of these service providers, integrate a system where owners, tenants, agents, 
and service providers can interact with each other on the same platform and digitize the experience to some extent. The idea was to bring hospitality-like living within long-term rental spaces. Now, this was a tech-enabled service that we started in the end of 2014. Now, this was the pre-Geo era. So, what really happened then was that people were not used to using apps. And uh, the consumption of our technology piece sort of diminished right from the start. And people wanted to start calling us. Now, whether it was vendors, brokers, landlords or tenants, we became the punching bag in between all of these service providers and stakeholders. By the time we expanded to a team of about 60 to 70 people, we realized that most of our staff was in the services field. We had a lot of blue-collar workers working out of the office and it wasn't really scaling as a platform but as a services business. Now, this sort of brought us to an understanding that we need to split building this technology for ourselves and providing the services into two companies and we ended up selling Cozy Homes to a service provider within the real estate space called the Agarwal Group. And we sort of retained the technology piece for ourselves, which we converted to a SaaS platform. There are about 18 lakh or 1.8 million property management companies across the world. And we wanted to be the sole technology provider or the operating system, so to speak, for all of these companies. Now, what our technology provides is a management ecosystem for their finance, operations, tenant management, data management, contract management, and so on and so forth. Given that we had built this for ourselves and had experience using this in the past, we ran operations for almost four years using this technology piece. And it made sense for us to sell this to other competing companies within the same space. And that's where we started. So this particular SaaS product was then branded as the Housemonk. And we tried selling this to large-scale property management companies across the world, including our own competitors. So, from a property management company that was servicing its customers to selling off and then pivoting to a technology company, their journey is very unique. Housemonk identified that there is a niche that property owners and managers were really struggling with a niche that they had actually solved for themselves. Before we launched our product in the market, every co-living and co-working company or every property management company in the world, in essence, were using eight to 10 products to manage their business. And there was no single source of truth for these guys to see what's happening in each department in one shot. Sales will come and tell you that they've approved, say, four seats in a co-working space. Customer success will onboard about five to six seats. and. Other departments won't even have a clue as to what they had to invoice unless they all sat in a room on a daily basis to figure out what data has been collected on multiple products within this ecosystem. What we wanted to bring about was that integrated ecosystem that allowed people to not just manage all of this together, but also allowed tenants to sort of book meeting rooms, get a coffee, create a community, and get all of these invoices put in one place so that the operations team does not have to interact with the tenant in an offline manner, but bring it all into a digital sense. People using different ecosystems have to pull data from multiple Excel sheets today, if you use fragmented ecosystems, and put it into multiple products. The idea was to sort of not do this, but give an interactive ecosystem between multiple departments, which even included approvals, more than approvals actually, it included uh, people talking to each other through a communications platform and then sort of 
approve things offline as well if required now not only did the tenants want to experience a managed ecosystem but they wanted to have a community set up in place as well after our journey in india we sort of jumped into the developed market as well so what happened was we entered the singapore market where pricing was better and we ended up signing our first large customer in india who was grexter and our first large customer in singapore who was cove both of these happened with our first trips to these particular companies and we closed the deal within 2 to 3 days after our first meeting with them our competitor in singapore was providing a solution that was very similar to ours but did not provide the same support that our organization was able to provide to our customers within singapore and that became our usp when we sold to our first customer in singapore and that continues to be so even now today most product companies expect you to raise a ticket and then chat with them over a ticketing software or some chatbot ecosystem that's there but people still want to call you over the phone and you need a very strong customer success team in multiple countries to service these customers and this is exactly what we were able to provide for our customers in singapore and our customers in uk as well having built and run this product for themselves for a while getting clients to see the value in their product was not as difficult as with other saas products i was taken aback by how quickly they were able to close out their first two customers one that was local for them in bangalore and the other which was from singapore converted at an unprecedented speed literally two clients back to back and they opened their revenue scorecard post signing um cove and grexer in india we realized that we were part of an entity that was formed in india called the rental housing association of india which is now a government registered entity that helps anyone in the rental housing space and the management space to talk about large scale problems that rental housing associations face and rental managers face within the same should you be charging gst for short term rental should you be charging gst for long term rental if it's a managed space does co-working work differently from managed office spaces and do tech parks have to be built in a different manner and how does the government sort of help you find legal routes and who liaises with the government to come up with this framework we were part of this organization and pretty much most of the companies in the property management space were part of this organization so our target audience and most of the customers that we wanted to reach out to in india were all sitting on one whatsapp group that's pretty much how we started selling in india and that's pretty much how we got our first 10 to 15 customers within india most of whom are in the top 20 players within this ecosystem within co-living within co-working and within multifamily property rentals that meant it was time to raise funds and raising funds isn't easy it takes time and effort they were also building a product that they had used internally so right from the start of this journey the co-founders ensured that they were looking for avenues from where to raise funds in 2019 just before we ended up selling our services business we were already in a late stage conversation with an international fund registered in germany who suggested that we retain the ip and tech outside of india and raise funds from outside of india to start with so when we sold our services business to agarwal which is now branded as agarwal estate management and go spaces we ended up raising one round for the product business from a group called diaspora in germany which was run by the head of uber in europe back then 
and this was a small round of about $300,000. Over time, we ended up raising another small round from our friends and family, which mounted to about $350,000, which kept us going for the next six to nine months, given that our burn wasn't too high and we did have a path to profitability. So six to eight months is what we had planned for. And uh, after that, we had thought well, we thought we'd go for a larger fund to disrupt the market and uh, grow exponentially. This initial push got the product stabilized and ensured their first set of customers. And ironically, this was when the world was in pandemic. Housemong strategized in a manner that benefited them in the long run. They repositioned themselves to avoid getting caught in the COVID slump. By about 2020, we had a stable product that we could take to the global audience. And we got our first few customers in India and Singapore, of course. But by the start of 2020, the pandemic hit the world and real estate businesses got affected adversely. The first set of companies that got affected were rental management businesses. And the first person that they cut off when their business is affected is their technology provider. What helped us bounce back from this situation was a rebrand of how we positioned our product. What we in essence did was call ourselves a product that helped with contactless property management during the time of the pandemic, which took us, uh, which sort of brought in a rubber band effect, which took us from two to four customers in about a, to about a hundred customers in the international market within the space of two years during the pandemic, which I think was an achievement for any SaaS product in the real estate space at that time. But with the pandemic, the interest in funding, however, started to dry up. All the investors that they were speaking with started to withdraw. And that again put them in quite the hot seat. We really had to push hard. We had to push the team hard. We had to push the existing resources very hard. We had to make sure that our customers paid us on time. Given that funding ran dry for most companies during the pandemic, especially in the real estate SaaS space, Europe was the only market that was paying us and we had to make sure that we broke even in all other markets. We did end up giving some discounts to some of our customers during the course of 2020 and 2021. But we drew all of these by 2021 when we started talking to our investors for a pre-series A round of about $45 million. Getting to profitability is great because now you can attract investors again. So the whole investment saga restarted. Pre-series, Series A type funding was what they were looking for. In the meantime, Housemonk registered themselves as a Singapore entity considering their customers were primarily from outside of India. 75% of our business currently comes from outside of India. Only 25% of our customers are in India. This gave the company a geographical advantage and a positioning advantage that they wanted to capitalize on. Getting funding was fundamental to them and they were really looking forward to it. They knew that they had the revenue and a product with product market fit as well as the TAM needed to make this product work. This was the time when the Aurum Group reached out to us. To give you a brief on who the Aurum Group is, the Aurum PropTech Group is a publicly listed PropTech fund that primarily invests in the capital, services and technology space within the real estate industry. They had already invested in a couple of SaaS companies prior to us and I think we were the third organization that they wanted to invest. Our products seem interesting to them and fit into their portfolio as an accessory for them to sell their services business and also as a complementary product to all the other products that they had already invested. 
everything went well. It took a couple of months to sort out all of our documentation with respect to due diligence and so on and so forth. But they did agree to invest in us and we started talking to them I think in June or July 2021. And by September 2021, I think all papers were signed, the term sheets were signed, due diligence was done, everything was on point. Now, given that all of this was done, we were expecting our valuations to be fixed, which got done again, and the money to hit our account soon. This is where the co-founders were in for a surprise. One that they really didn't count on. A surprise that nearly washed them out. What we didn't realize at that point is that a publicly listed company in India investing into an organization that's been registered in Singapore is a mammoth task with respect to compliances and RBI requirements with respect to filing. Offshore investments that our previous investors had done from India and payback to friends and family who had invested within the company had to be registered with the government and only post all of these compliances or could transfer their money into our bank account. Everything had to be done within the time frame that we were expecting the money to hit our account and that's not how ideal businesses work. Now, assuming that a large chunk of capital was accessible to our company, we started expanding in multiple markets and increased our burn rate. Now, our team strength was increasing rapidly, our marketing expenditures were increasing rapidly and within two to three months, our burn had almost tripled from where we were at the start of the time we started conversing with Aurum. Things started looking bleak, I think, by December 2021. They were fast running out of cash and they were getting starved, so to speak. With money signed for and all parties having agreed to all terms, they just didn't have access to get that money. Pumping in their own personal money and seeing what they built over the last couple of years getting to the point of no return, they were desperate. Desperate enough to make drastic choices if it had to be. At this point, the founders, Ajay and I, had invested all of the savings that we ever had into this business and we really couldn't pump in more of our money. This sort of takes a mental toll on you as founders as well because at, on one hand, you have to focus on growing the business and on the other hand, you're going through personal financial issues of sorts and you still have to manage a team of 40, 40 to 50 people within the organization and still motivate them to perform at their utmost best. We reached a point where we had to really decide on whether to let go of 50% of our team to turn profitable or to sort of continue working with these guys and raise money, beg, borrow, bleed, do whatever it took and make sure that we had access to some capital somewhere. Given that we had taken a lot of effort to hire these guys and we had built this company culture where our team members were very happy working with us, we decided to make sure that we somehow raise this capital from somewhere or the other. They say fortune favours the brave and no, the equity funding didn't come through. But a very interesting opportunity came knocking at their door. At this point, we managed to get an offer from a revenue-based financing company based out of Singapore. In essence, what they offered us was, we discount our invoices in a sense where we pay them a certain amount as an EMI and the rest of the revenue hits our bank account at the time of collection of revenue from our customers. Now, this was hugely helpful because they offered us the flexibility where if our payouts and our revenue collections happen on time over a period of three to six months, the rate of interest keeps decreasing over time 
and the access to capital increases at a lower rate of interest from the same organization. At this point, we didn't know whether the money from Aurum was going to hit our account in 20 days, 3 months, 4 months or 6 months. Given that we didn't have a lot of access to information that RBI was supposed to provide to us or say SEBI was pro supposed to provide to Aurum and we really needed the capital to keep the business afloat. It took us about 15 to 20 days to get the documents in order. Neither of us even had to travel to Singapore, given that we were also registered in Singapore and the company was in Singapore. Within 20 days, after submitting our documents, the cash is in our bank account and we kept the business afloat and started growing thereon. I think it took four to five months from January 2021 for the money from Aurum to actually hit our account. In which case, the company allowed us to sort of repay the debt that we had taken from them and carry on with our business. Now, even when funding was present, it didn't give the House Monk founders an instant solution. In fact, they had to literally keep their head above the water just to ride out the storm. The storm that hit them and one day was sorely unprepared for. Having that liquidity that they got from the revenue-based financing company is what saved them. And the timing? Impeccable. So I had to ask what he learned out of this and what Bala felt was the advantage he was able to leverage from the revenue-based financing company. The advantage with the products offered by revenue-based financing companies is the flexibility that you get as a customer. Returning the money whenever you want is very key to most startups. The flexibility of being able to access cash and return the money wherever you want is not something that traditional banks or NBFCs provide. Most traditional banking ecosystems provide money for a period of two, three, four, five years. And if you want to return the money at an earlier rate, you end up paying so much in interest and in foreclosure rates that you will never end up doing it. With such large amounts of debt on your books, VCs typically don't want to invest in startups that are at a growth stage. So working with a revenue-based financing company sort of gives you the flexibility to access this capital for 3, 6, 9, 12 months, which is what most startups today are looking for. And I think that's what worked for us as well. An added flexibility that they got out of the revenue-based financing was the concept of drawdown. Added advantage to this is the flexibility of what we call a drawdown. Now, given that the organization or the revenue-based financing company is willing to lend us, say, $500,000. We might not need to spend that $500,000, say, within the first one, two, three, four, five months. But we'd like to draw down $50,000 for the first two months and then another $50,000 in the next two to three months. And this is traditionally not possible with banking institutions that are available today. Now, when you draw down the entire amount in one go, what you end up doing is paying interest on the entire amount. But when you have a drawdown concept where you can draw down whatever amount of money that you want over a period of time, you only pay interest for those tranches of money that you have received into your bank account. Given that most of these new revenue-based financing companies are technology-enabled, all of this becomes very easy because it's simply a drag and drop to find out how much money that you are going to withdraw. And it's one click of a button to upload all of your documents. And... All of this worked very well, especially during times like the pandemic where you just couldn't meet people to access capital through financial institutions across the world. Now, I was severely at a disadvantage here. This looks suspicious, like an overdraft facility to me. Though fundamentally, I understood it was different. 
the way the money is taken, etc., is very similar. Diving into the details led Bala to unveil a few more nuggets of information that's very unique. So the fundamental difference between revenue-based financing and traditional overdrafts that you can avail through a bank comes down to due diligence and asset backing. In traditional overdraft facilities, most financial institutions look for assets that are registered to the company in the form of physical assets. Either you have large physical assets such as machines for manufacturing or raw materials for real estate and so on and so forth. Or you have very large contracts like government contracts in case of contracting companies which run into hundreds of millions of dollars against which they will be willing to lend an amount to you. Small SaaS companies that are in a growth phase typically have annual contract values, ACVs of about $20,000 a year with each of their customers. And they have multiple customers within their portfolio that might not be easily accessible to banks to do cross-verification from. Revenue-based financing companies keep this in mind and do due diligence based on the growth rate that you have and lend you the money based on the amount of collections you've made in the past and not based on the number of assets you have within your company. Most SaaS, for most SaaS companies, the only asset that you have is the IP that you've capitalized over time. And that's not something that traditional banking firms take into consideration today, given that it's very hard to value the tech IP of most SaaS companies. Now, given that we had the IP registered within our system, revenue-based financing companies approached us saying that, you know, you can automate this collection process for us by just integrating their API into your collection process through whatever banking system that you're using and they get their money back and you end up growing and collecting your revenue and it hits your bank account on time and filing happens within the same. So there's absolutely no friction when it comes to these companies and there is no issue with respect to capitalizing your assets which are in the form of an IP. So, going back to what I mentioned right in the beginning, what's the similarity you ask after all this talk about Housemonk? Well, my contorted mind was able to draw a parallel between the two. In a singular word, flexibility. The flexibility that revenue-based financing gave Housemonk literally stopped them from breaking down, as does the flexibility that a gymnast needs. I'm in no way reducing the need for other aspects of the sport, but personally, when you have flexibility, it really goes a long way. That's all for today, folks. Thank you for tuning in to the SaaS Universe podcast. And remember, if you're looking for non-dilutive capital to help grow your business, Efficient Capital Labs is here to help. With their unique approach, you can receive up to 60% of your projected revenue as upfront capital and all within just three days. So don't wait. Head to www.ecaplabs.com to learn more and get started today. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time on the show.